Hello. Welcome to Wandering Eye Curios. Oh, oh, you look frozen. Please come warm up by the fire. Take Jasper's seat. He's out buying Christmas presents at our favourite independent shops. I assume you've been doing the same, judging by all those bags. I love this time of year, but I'm really not a fan of the busy shops and rude customers. I prefer to stay in and bake or watch a festive horror film. Speaking of baking... I have some Yule bread here if you'd like some. From my research, it either comes from Orkney or Shetland. Either way, it's made with caraway seeds and the dough is plaited with three strands to form a circular loaf. The circle represents the sun, you see, while the caraway seeds are to distract the Sith, a Scottish spirit sometimes presenting as a cat. According to folklore, caraway seeds prevent things being stolen and were frequently used in love charms and potions. They were often left under the beds of newborns as well. It suggested that the Sith and other spirits would have to count the seeds, which would distract them from stealing the child. Now the Yule bread isn't to be confused with the chocolate Yule log many of us enjoy around Christmas. Most people know it as just another delicious dessert to stuff yourself with around the holidays. But the Yule log isn't traditionally a cake, but a hardwood log that the Vikings lit on the shortest day of the year, using a piece of the previous year's log to ignite the flame. Those sitting by the fire as the Yule log burnt would be protected for the next year. Like many pagan traditions, fire is incredibly important during this season. The burning of a rowan branch is said to chase away any bad feelings between family and friends to start the new year with a clean slate. The Kalich is a piece of wood carved with the face of an old woman called the Old Woman Winter Totem. People of yesteryear tossed this log onto a fire on Christmas Eve to symbolise the destruction of winter. It's also the pagans who were credited with the tradition of decorating trees for Christmas. While many already decorated trees outside their homes, 
It's said that they were the first to bring evergreen trees inside and hang shapes upon them to symbolise life. More commonly known is the link to Queen Charlotte, the German wife of King George III, who brought the tradition to the British people when she requested a yew tree to be placed in her lodge at Windsor Great Park so she could decorate it for the holiday. Now we all know that holly is a Christmas plant. Now we all know at Christmas, holly is typically hung. At first, the church forbid holly from being hung as the red of the berries were thought to ward off witches. Many still hung it in their homes as the barbed leaves were symbols of eternal life and protection. Realising that their congregations were going against the minister's wishes, the church decided to rebrand holly, swiftly announcing to all that the leaves represented Christ's crown of thorns and the berries his blood. Such a powerful plant couldn't simply be thrown away though, so on the eve of Candlemas, it had to be burnt. Ivy seen as the female counterpart to the male holly. Symbolising everlasting life and resurrection, the plant was considered a dangerous omen. In Northamptonshire, decorating your house with ivy brought bad luck, whereas if you added holly, you'd be safe. Some claimed that the vine could bring on madness. Again, it was important to dispose of the plant in a certain way. Farmers often fed the withered leaves to their cattle to make sure that none remained behind. Others chose to burn it like the holly. Before it became the chosen tool for creeps at office parties, mistletoe was considered such a sacred plant that it could only be picked by druids who would cut the stalks with a golden sickle. It represented peace, and people who met underneath the plant were forbidden from ever fighting, even if they became bitter enemies. Homes decorated with the plant offered shelter and protection to all who entered. For a while, mistletoe was even used to pardon criminals. York Minster Cathedral held a winter mistletoe service each year, where local sinners and criminals could repent. Holding up a branch, the priest would declare pardon and freedom of all sorts of inferior and wicked people at the Minster gates. The criminal could then leave, safe from prosecution and free to lead a more normal life. Oh, sorry, I better get that. I won't be long. Meg? Want to give me a hand with these bags? Oh! <laughs> Hello. Is Meg here? Ah, oh, the phone. Oh, she bothering you with tales of Christmas traditions? We've been chatting about it for the last couple of days. I'm really interested in the tradition of Hogmanay. I always thought that Scottish people just preferred New Year's. But it turns out there's a reason Hogmanay is such a big thing there. In 1560, Scotland's very own Grinch, John Knox, and the newly reformed Church of Scotland officially cancelled Christmas and banned everyone in the country from celebrating. Back then, Christmas in Scotland was known as Yule, a Scots word that comes from the Old Norse, Yol, meaning winter solstice. 
Traditionally, Yule refers not just to the 25th, but the whole Christmas holiday. Unwilling to forego any kind of celebrations, people decided to move the party to New Year's Eve instead. Behind closed doors, of course. Many still upheld their traditions, however, everyone was required to work on Christmas Day as normal and could not advertise any festivities for fear of punishment. Christmas wasn't recognised as a public holiday in Scotland until 1958, and the Scots had to wait until 1974 for Boxing Day to be officially made a holiday. As a result, Hogmanay became, and remains, a huge deal for the Scots. Perhaps the most famous tradition of Hogmanay is first footing. After the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve, the first person to enter through your door, or first footer, is a bringer of great luck and gifts. In Scotland, your visitor would ideally be a dark-haired man, as a blonde-haired man could represent a Viking who would be there to cause harm. Redheads and women are surprisingly seen as harbingers of doom. Traditionally, they should bring a range of treats, including bread, salt, a lump of coal, and a dram of whiskey. It's common for the guests to also bring black buns, pastries made with raisins, currants, almonds, orange peel, ginger, cinnamon, and all spices. These gifts represented all the things the new year would hopefully bring, such as prosperity, food, warmth, and good cheer. Another Hogmanay event is the fireball ceremony in Stonehaven, where locals meet on the high street and at the stroke of midnight parade through the streets of this ancient fishing village swinging balls of fire above their heads. While the fireballs are packed in wire cages and attached to strong five-foot-long wire ropes, it's far from safe. Some say the fireballs signify the sun, or a shooting star, or that they ward off evil spirits. In 1583, the church banned bakers from making mince pies. Back then, these cakes contained meat, fruit and spices, and were made into a giant pie which would feed neighbours and visitors. Anyone found to be making them was punished, and it was common for the inquisitors to demand to know which customers had brought them. In order to outsmart the church, bakers began to make smaller, handheld pies, which were far easier to hide. This size and shape of mince pies are still common today. Traditionally in England, you should eat a mince pie on each of the 12 days of Christmas. Failure to do this will obviously lead to misfortune. Speaking of eating, I've never understood why turkey is what everyone seems to eat at Christmas. I know as a veggie I shouldn't really worry about it, but still. In the Victorian era, most turkeys eaten on Christmas Day came from East Anglia. Because farm transport was pretty limited back then, farmers were forced to walk to London, a 110 mile journey, herding their birds along the roads for days on end. Approximately 150,000 turkeys were transported each year, and to make sure they arrived in pristine condition for the rich families to enjoy, the turkeys were all fitted with handmade leather boots. 
I know. Incredible. Geese had a less enjoyable journey. Instead of fancy footwear, their feet were covered with boiling tar, which was then sanded down to make a flat surface, like a torturous permanent shoe. Goose was a common meal for the poor, so it's not all that surprising that less effort was made to keep these birds looking pretty. As money was so tight, many working class families formed goose clubs, pooling their money together to be able to afford a bird, which was then shared out between them on Christmas Day. Unlike the noble parties of the rich, these were much more merry affairs, with several families all squished into one jolly room. Still, turkey sounds a lot more appetising than the stargazing pie that Tom Borcock was responsible for. On the 23rd of December, Mouse Hole in Cornwall was experiencing the worst storm in years. No food had been brought in for Christmas as local boats were afraid to sail. Local fisherman Tom Borcock ventured out into the storm in his trusty ship. Returning with enough for the village, he was a hero, and in his honour local housewives made a pie with pilchard's heads poking out of the pastry crust. It is said that people living in Mouseholes still eat stargazing pie to this day. Gross. Jasper? Yeah? Can you come here? The woman on the phone wants information about your readings next week. Okay. Come in! Oh, sorry about that. It's always busy this time of year. What were we talking about? Oh yeah, Christmas traditions. My mum and I have always loved singing and one of our favourite things to do when I was younger was sing carols. We even sang in Gloucester Cathedral one year with our choir on Christmas Eve. Most of the carols we sing today are based on holy stories or a jolly family Christmas. One that differs is Good King Wenceslas, the story of a kind king who helps a poor and freezing peasant stuck outside in a snowstorm. Most people don't know, however, that this classic tune is inspired by a grisly murder. Good King Wenceslas is based on Wenceslaus I, Duke of Bohemia, who was born in 907 AD. He was known as Valclac the Good, for his kindness to the people. Every Christmas Eve, he and his servants would take food, firewood and clothing to his most needy subjects, and he frequently encouraged the rich to give to the poor. He was one of the most beloved rulers of his time. When his Christian father died, Wenceslaus's pagan mother arranged to have his paternal grandmother strangled to death with her own veil. His mother ruled Bohemia until Wenceslaus turned 18, and she cruelly punished Christians whenever she had the chance. When he came of age, Wenceslaus banished her and split the country in two, giving the larger half to his younger brother. Somehow unhappy with this, his brother Boleslaus arranged a murder plot. On the 28th of December, Wenceslaus was invited to a lavish party at his younger brother's home. 
after much food and alcohol was consumed, three noblemen lured the duke into a room where they repeatedly stabbed him. His own brother then ran him through with a lance. It's not known what happened to his body, but some say he was dismembered and then dumped in the mountains. Singing carols door to door isn't something that happens all too often these days, perhaps for good reason. Historian Thomas Christensen has written how carolers or were sailors of the 17th century weren't so much bringers of Christmas cheer, but kind of thugs. They would arrive unannounced at neighbours' homes, demanding food and drink. Some would threaten violence or rape, destroy property and even set alight fences or trees. It makes the lyric, we won't go until we've got some, far more sinister, doesn't it? One minister in the early 1700s tried to ban the practice of caroling, complaining that it could drive people to riots, fornication and wantonness. If you grew up in Wales, you'll never forget the moment you first saw Mary Lloyd. There's a knock at the door. Sleepy and cold, you pad to the door and pull it open, a cold breeze flowing in. Looming over you is a creature with a horse's skull, with lights in her eye sockets. Her mane is made of holly and ivy with bells and ribbons hung. A white cloak is hanging from her skull, which is attached to a pole held by a person hiding underneath the fabric. She is followed by a group of men chanting loudly, who begin singing at you. Stepping back in terror, you bump into your parents, who instead of slamming the door shut, laugh and begin to sing back at them loudly and enthusiastically. This creepy tradition has been happening for hundreds of years. Villagers go from door to door, attempting to gain entry by challenging each household they come to, to a battle of verses known as Prinko. The homeowners then respond with their own rhymes in an attempt to outwit the creature and prevent her from entering the house. This will continue on until the household allows the Mary Lloyd inside so she can bring good luck for the next year. The group are then given snacks and a drink and move on to the next house. She is well known to be mischievous trying to steal things and chase people around their homes. The other translation for Mary Lewid is Grey Mary. Some scholars have theorised that her story is born from the nativity. As a pregnant young horse, she was sent out of the stables where Mary gave birth to Jesus and spent the dark night roaming the land, desperately seeking somewhere to give birth herself. When she couldn't find anywhere to shelter, she lay down and died. On that rather morbid note, I have been talking your ear off for far too long. There are a lot of Christmas traditions in the UK, but I'm sure you still have plenty of things to do today. If you still have people to buy for, we do have lots of new stock in. Perhaps a Rowan branch tree decoration to clear the atmosphere at your family gathering or Maybe a pack of my homemade mince pies. They're very good. Wandering Eye Curios is sure to have something you didn't even realise that you needed. Now take care, won't you? And let me know if you need any help.
like the good Duke himself, our door is always open to people lost in a snowstorm. Wandering Eye Curios is brought to you by myself, Jasper Chanter, and my co-host Meg James. The podcast is scripted and performed by both of us and produced by me. Music is scored and performed by Amy Marianne with lyrics by myself. Our intro song, for better or worse, is sung by us. Find us on Instagram at Wandering Eye Curios and over on Twitter at Wandering Eye Pod. Stay spooky, friends. Until next time. York Minster Cathedral held a winter... Why can't I say winter? Mah!